the middle case is just too wide and too bulky and then the bezel is just too slim and then the dial is too wide and then the, the indices are too large and then the pattern is too small and then the hands are too large and then the state window is too small and then the crown is huge it feels like it's been just put together it's like it looks like kind of like a parts bin thing even though it's a totally new case and new dial and new crown everything is new on it and yet the proportions are just way off uh, in all kinds of ways but tell us what you really think david this week on a blog to watch weekly it's the rick and david show motor racing themed releases still feature highly this week with gerard perigo and tag heuer jj lecoultre debut the polaris date watch in green while zenith present us with the defy skyline we have the last word on the moon swatch at least for this week and a mystery guest and don't forget to RSVP if you want to come to either of our Blog to Watch events with Bremont or Tiso in LA over the next week. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. This week it's just me and David. We've been yes. allowed out on our own to play, David. It should be explained that Ariel is not here. He claims because he's in London and has flown all the way over to Europe to see the One of a Kind collection which you'll be hearing about and reading about, I am quite sure, over the next week. The reality is, what we actually think he came across for was, Ariel's a big Eurovision fan. He's really into his kind of Europop, dressing up, getting in with a gang, attending all these events. Big Eurovision fan he gave. He didn't give the UK 12 points. Apparently he was a big fan of the Norwegian entry. So, yeah. <laughs> but he likes to keep it a bit on the down low that he's really, really into Eurovision. What, what did you make of Eurovision? Did you watch Eurovision, David? Uh, uh, I'm not watching Eurovision, not until Ariel succeeds on his secret mission, which is to enter California into Eurovision, having not understood <laughs> the Euro part of the event. Yeah, much like the Australians who are... Is it, were Israel in it this year? So Australia are in it and Israel are in it, but I don't know if they made it to the finals. I, I, I have absolutely no idea. I know that people sing there and sometimes the country wins. That's all I know about Eurovision. <laughs> so you didn't follow the trials and tribulations of the Hungarian entry? Not even close. No, no. <laughs> That's maybe why Ariel's just not been, been a no-show this morning. He's been disappointed that we've both not been quite as into Eurovision as he has. In all seriousness, yes, Ariel is actually over to see Eurovision. No, he's over for this Oak collection thing. One of a kind. One of a kind. It took me a while to connect <laughs> hearing about this Oak collection yeah. and then hearing about other people speaking about the One of a Kind collection over yes. the last six months. It was only about six weeks ago that I joined the two things together, <laughs> but that's my that's my bad, but there we have it. So it has been a reasonably busy weekend watches. There's been some releases. There's been quite a lot in the Formula One world, uh, mm. linkage following on from last week's show, and there's been one or two other interesting bits and bobs that we will cover any particular highlights of the week from what you've been seeing going on in the watch world, David, before we launch in? Um, well, I, I hate to be immodest, but I think, uh, you know, a cool addition to the world of watches is my article on the Moonswatch purchase experience of all things, and of course also a critical review of the watch itself that we just published yesterday. It's a fresh article, it's pretty long, and it's about my Viennese experience of queuing for hours and, and buying that watch and looking at the flipping, uh, or the flip side, and, you know, the flipping industry, or 
um, practice behind it, etc. So, and also looking at all the QC problems, quality control issues that I have with the Moose Watch that I have. So, I would really genuinely uh, recommend that uh, that you guys uh, give that a read. Yep. So. David on recommending his own article. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Shameless yeah, we will be talking about that shortly. But other things to look out for then are the two events that are coming up. So go to the A Blog to Watch website. And if you're in Los Angeles, or even if you're not in Los Angeles, but fancy an event with Bremont at the Bike Shed or with uh, Tiso at Feldmar Watch Co., then do get in touch via the website to get your invitation to these events i think one is at the end of this week and one is sometime next week so go and have a look at the website and also while you're there do check out the a blog to watch shop formula one for you are you a particular supporter of a particular team or just a fan in general well, I always, I always root for the underdog. That's that's the thing. So if someone's been winning for seven years, you know, I'm not going to be a fan because I won. Uh, I, I'm I'm rooting for David against Goliath. That's the, that's the point there. So who is this year's David? Well, that's a good point. I I, I like McLaren a lot, despite all their all their uh, yeah. misfortune and all that. So <laughs> I hope. And I actually went to the McLaren F1 Center with with Richard Mill six seven years ago. That was really amazing. I was standing right next to the car where they make it. It was not like an exhibition or anything like that. I was in that super clean room. It was such a great match with Richard Mille. Yeah, I think I probably have a soft spot for McLaren. Although, I have to confess, I am actually a big Lewis Hamilton fan, you know. Really? Okay. Maybe maybe he doesn't sometimes attract, you know, the kind of fandom that some of the other drivers do. But, right. But, you know, he's, he's a great driver. And I think he, he doesn't quite have the grumpy chip <laughs> that the likes of Verstappen seems to have, whereby he just he just moans a bit much sometimes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll maybe not, we'll maybe not copy him into the, this particular show this week, seeing as he's a follower of a blog to watch. But sometimes he moans a bit. Now I can kind of understand that when it's going wrong and it's in the moment. And I suppose when you're driving at 200 miles an hour, you're not really thinking about how the public perceives you. You're really just wanting to win and are bothered when you're not winning. So, watches that were released this week to do with Formula 1, Girard Perigo with their partnership with Aston Martin. This is a Laureato Absolute Chronograph F1 edition. I quite like this. What do you like about it? I think the... I mean, I know it's kind of basic, but I quite like the green. I think the contrasting hands, these kind of luminous highlighter-coloured seconds hand and marker on the, you know, sitting in front of this Aston Martin green. I think it's particularly attractive in the carbon case. The carbon case has kind of green flecks. You've got a Ulysses Nardan that's, I think, a bit of a similar kind of idea to this, but has gold flecks through a carbon case. This yes. is this is a, a similar sort of idea. The Laureato, I think, is starting to stand on its own two feet. I mean, obviously, it's been around for years, but I guess in recent years has kind of been dragged into the, oh, you're just copying the Royal Oak. But I think it's now developed its personality such that actually I don't look at this now and just see, oh yeah, Royal Oak, despite the fact that there are so many similarities. I see this and I think of its own, I think it's its own thing now. And it's this limited edition, I think brings it on. I also like the fact that it doesn't say Aston Martin on the dial it says it on the back and that's where watches that 
you know, have sponsorships, put the sponsorship on the back, so as we don't actually need to see it, we can just enjoy the watch. Speaking of the of the Royal Oak, uh, I remember when a couple of years ago, five six years ago, Jerry Perigo brought back the the Laureato, and I was writing about the debut uh, of of that piece. And yes, there are similarities to the Royale, but I, you know, it's not that difficult to find, uh, to look into the history of the Laureato and find that it actually came a year earlier than the Nautilus, for example, or the Engineer SL, many, many years ago, uh, before that. And, and so if you look at all the other watches that jumped on the Royale bandwagon, and, you know, many people give the Nautilus a pass even though it was designed by the same guy and commissioned to be essentially a Royal Oak copy. And then there's this watch that was not designed by the same guy and came sooner, is sometimes, and actually often in the comments, described as a Royal Oak uh, copy. So uh, to me, what I find is that the bigger the brand and the bigger the ego of the brand, the less likely the audience is to, to bash it or to give it a run for its money. And the smaller the brand and the more often underdog it is, the more likely that they are to be called out. And it's it's interesting because I just some somebody commented on my article the other day and linked to an old article that I wrote on the in-house uh, labeling of movements. And I reread it because I was curious to see like, hey, you know, what the hell was I talking about there? Because they said, you know, it was a good article and well received. And so I looked back and I wrote the same thing that, you know, the bigger the brand and the bigger the ego of the brand, the more likely people are going to give said brand a pass for using the manufacturer label. Tudor, for example, totally gets a pass. Omega totally gets a pass. Even though it was doing the same thing as Panerai was doing, and when Panerai was doing it, it was a whole scandal. You know, so it's it's so weird how people's brains are wired sometimes. Yeah, now, did the lo- I'm not au fait with the history of Girard Perigo in particular, but was did the Laureato fade as a regular release for several years and then came back because that's my impression is that it was kind of rediscovered by the brand or had it always just been bubbling away there but just was never given the push because as far as i'm concerned i can really only remember the laureato in any kind of regular press in the last i don't know even just three or four years yeah you're correct Uh, i i think it, it came back three or four maybe a few more years um ago but before that, it, it totally it didn't exist. So Jira Pergo was uh, producing a bunch of other collections, but I don't recall a Laureato from ten years ago or fifteen years ago. So they did bring it back. It was a complete redesign, a new case, a new bracelet, obviously inspired by the original Laureato, a design that they actually own and have created, as I said, under those circumstances that I just described. And Speaking of this one, I you know I totally agree with you. If you if you do something for enough number of years, people start to accept it through repetition, and that is exactly what is happening. I think with the Laureato, I think they are also getting a little bit more brave and bold uh, with how they approach this, and just like the Royal Oak Offshore and some of its yeah. craziest, uh, boldest renditions, the Laureato actually looks great. I think in these in these very bold iterations like this one with all the green carbony bits, etc. And again, like you said, it's a kind of like a Ulysses Northern case, but then again, they are sister brands. So, uh, you know, producing the same building largely. So that makes sense. I agree. This strikes me as being quite like going down, you know, taking the Laureato down the route of splitting it into the traditional steel Laureato, very trad, you know, very wearable in any circumstance, and then this style of Laureato 
more akin to an offshore. So just briefly on this watch, 306 examples are being made. Not entirely sure why 306 is the number. Do we have any clue? Because I can't see one, but it is going to be $27,800, this F1 relationship with Aston Martin. Is this the first watch from that partnership? No, it's not, but the 306 stands for the total distance Aston Martin drivers Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel will aim to cover on race day at the British Grand Prix. Oh, is that right? They'll aim to cover. I like the... uh... I, I like the idea that they're, uh, you know, it's Aston Martin. It's, you know, might not manage three and six. Or maybe it sounds like they will try and like make the, the some of the corners like Beckett's or whatever. They will just go around <laughs> them in a greater circle just to stretch three o five to three o six. You know. So in terms of the actual watch credibility of this, in terms of the movement, uh, this is GP's own manufacturer caliber. I think in its entirety, isn't it? It's not based on anything. I think it's going to have a, a module on top. So it does have a, um, a manufacturer or in-house 3300 uh, base m- movement. And then on the dial side, I would be surprised if it didn't have some sort of a Dubois Depra or other chronograph module to turn that base movement, the three-hand base movement into a chronograph. So I think that's what's happening. Nothing wrong with that per se, uh, but it would be great if GP could follow uh, other RPG and develop its own full-fledged chronograph movement. Because my only gripe with this one is that you own a chronograph, but then you turn the watch around and all you see through the case back is a base movement. There is nothing on the movement that would imply that this is a chronograph because all the chronograph bits and pieces and parts uh, all those cool wheels and, and, and cams and maybe even the column wheel um, are on the dial side hidden away from you. Yeah, the back of this watch is probably the biggest disappointment. One, because they chose to put Aston Martin over the crystal. But actually, it's not a terribly attractive looking movement, at least not in the photograph. So maybe I'll forgive it that just because it's hiding a bit of the movement. <laughs> a bit of the movement. Considering how... <sighs> Spectacular is maybe overdoing it a bit, but you know the front of the watch is making a statement. The back of the watch is not. The, the, the front of the watch is trying to do 306 miles at the British Grand Prix. The back of the watch is saying, yeah, we're going to forget to screw the tires on properly in the pit lane and then they're going to roll down the lane. Oh, that's hilarious. It's just not not quite doing it for me. But at the end of the day, you don't wear a watch to look at the back. You wear a watch to look at the front, and this is a particularly attractive watch. So if you want to have a look at the pictures, etc., then have a look at Sean's article on a blogtowatch.com. Can I just say for the record, I do look at the movements. <laughs> and and if, if people are listening to this podcast, probably they are doing that as well. GP weren't the only people to release a watch related to Formula One, etc., uh, Tag Heuer have released a couple in a, in the last two weeks. The one this week, I was a bit confused about because it it's a Tag Heuer unveils Formula One Indy 500 2022 limited edition. So is this for the Indy 500 or is this for Formula One that takes part, I think, at the same track, does it not? It is for Indy 500. So actually, I actually attended the Indy 500 race with Tag Heuer 
uh, back in 2015 or 2016. And uh, even back at that time, I find it, found it kind of amusing that there's a Formula One collection of watches. And within that, every year, they produce an Indy 500 watch. So may, let me see if the case back or something says Formula One on it. Because, oh, I see. Apparently, it doesn't. Okay. So back in 2015 or 16 or whatever it was, the watch actually said Formula One on the dial and said Indy 500 or on the bezel or some, some other place. And so many people have criticized it, yes, because it was just a given for Tag Hoyer to put Formula One on the dial because that's the name of the collection and that was just a thing. And uh, by now, apparently, you know, attention to detail has kicked in and they are like, okay, let's, let's just not put Formula One anywhere on there. So it doesn't say Formula One apparently anywhere, not on the dial and not on the engraved case back. So this one gets a pass. Because the previous week they released the Formula One Red Bull Special Edition for 2022, which does say Formula One on the front. Yes. And it does say Red Bull Formula One on the back as well. So this is the sequel, if you like, the following week for the Indy 500. I don't really know what to think about this watch because, like I said before, I'm not a big fan of watches that have very obvious sponsorship on them. Well... Limited edition, 500. But are he, I, I, I'm not quite sure who's rushing out to buy this as a fan of the Indy 500 or is just happens to buy this because they're looking at a watch in this price range, they see this, and they're a bit of an Indy fan or motor race fan, so, so they buy it, as opposed to, oh, I must collect the Indy 500 watch from this year. Every single year, around 300,000 people visit the venue of Indy 500 in person. So basically, like a medium-sized town is present <laughs> at the racetrack for the weekend, 300,000. And now they are aiming to sell 500 of these watches. So this is a very limited production in the sense that uh, I think this one is more about having something to um, just put all over the indie track and, you know, maybe even, you know, yes, an ad in the broadcast and just geo-target the crap out of it on social media, etc. And it allows Tag Hoyer to stay close to those hundreds of thousands of indie fans and actually millions once you consider how many are watching it on TV. Yeah. And so they, 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 I think by now they know that, like you say, people are not going to um, run out in you know Amas and try and buy this in the thousands, but they will hopefully develop an attraction to Tech Hoyer by thinking, oh, this is the brand that cares about in the 500. So I start, uh, so I begin to care about the brand. And you know, people might just go out and buy something that is more expensive and more refined, whatever. Speaking of which, this, these are getting pretty expensive. This is $2,400, I think, is pretty steep for, for one of these. Yeah, I mean, it is a quartz, it's a Ronda quartz movement, so you're, you know, you're not getting an automatic movement for, for that. It is a chronograph. I mean, is the person that's buying this watch really buying it for the movement? Is that what they're considering? I mean, do they sell this at? Is there actually the opportunity... Is there a Tag Heuer stand? I mean, presumably if there's 300,000 people there, there's, there's quite a retail park built to go alongside it in terms of merchandise, etc. I can imagine if a whole load of Indy 500 fans turn up on race day and for the pre-race and however qualifying works Indy 500, and this was available, I could imagine some guys with money burning a hole in their pocket 
you know, deciding to buy one. Or oh yeah, this is what they take home. But uh, be interested to know if they actually do retail these at the venue. Yeah, I, no, I think this this one is is a good one to buy to purchase as a as a you know just just a, a token from that you know just 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 uh, to uh, commemorate the event and that you were there. I think that's really cool. I think it works. Even the pricing is is a, is a little bit steep. I think it it, it works as a lifelong memory. Well, you can check out uh, that release and the previous week's release that was in relationship to Red Bull uh, on the website now. Strategically, Jager Lacolte has launched a new Polaris date just after Watches and Wonders Geneva. Why this happens and how infuriating <laughs> it is, I cannot even begin to describe. When you put in the legwork of like a week's running around in Geneva and at the fair, only to be shown a watch maybe a month after the fact, a watch that looks like it was designed not within the last week, but sometime in 1965. It's, it's just so freaking weird, but it's good to see that Jager is finally beginning to get the hang of the Polaris on a personal note, if I may add. I, I've, I've not been a fan of the Polaris because... It just looks kind of all over the place in all kinds of ways, rather inelegant with the, the stubby little lugs and the, you know, the scattered dial. But this one, wow, with, with this green vignette effect and, and all that going on, this looks finally like a Polaris I could get behind. What about you, Rick? What do you think? Yeah, this is the Polaris date watch in green. It does look particularly pretty, it has to be said. It's particularly well photographed, this watch, and the green dial, which has kind of got like a double gradient. So it gradients from the centre out to the first uh, set of markers, and then gradients again from the first set of markers out to the uh, chapter ring, out to the dive bezel, or the adjustable bezel. It's a, It's particularly attractive. I agree with you, though. I don't really get the Polaris. I don't get the Polaris as JLC's sports watch. Hmm. Like, only sports watch. Like, if you want a sports watch from JLC, it's the Polaris, and that's as sporty as it gets. Hmm. I mean, we've spoken about uh, Gerard Perigo's relationship with Aston Martin, and some of the best watches, sports watches ever made, and still hold their own today, are those that were created, I don't know, some of them would, would some of those watches now be nearly twenty years old that were created between GLC and Aston Martin in the whole kind of Amvox uh, range. Hmm. I think there were was there six iterations. You know, some of them you could use to I don't know, open your car. I wish we mentioned those, but I, I didn't think of that. But yeah, that's very true. Jager has made some spectacular watches for um, uh, for Aston Martin. And yes, you're correct. There were a select few variations that would allow the user to program the watch with the key fob of, key fob of their Aston Martin. And it would allow them to lock and unlock the doors of the car from afar. So... What would happen is you would be walking towards your your car and like a total and absolute dark, you could show off to your lady friend that you can actually open and close the doors with your watch. Sadly, it didn't work, if I remember correctly, as a keyless go. 
So once you got in, you couldn't start the engine, so you would still have to find the key somewhere, which is often a Ford Mondeo key uh, and an Aston Martin of those years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it all goes to that downhill from there. But that's that's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean they had one where the chronograph to start and stop it. Did you not? You pivoted. That's crystal. And it was. Yep. A, I suppose it was. I mean, I've never handled one, but I suppose it worked a bit like a uh, Debethun in that, like the way that the Debethun has the articulating lugs. This kind of yes. articulated the whole case, and you could start and stop the chronograph with it. You know, they had some apps. I think it was a Tourbillon version in there. So I think oh, there yeah. were six or seven versions, and they were proper desirable sports watches built on a case shape and design that looks very much like the Polaris does now, but hmm. just had a bit of a bit more flair and a bit more ambition. And I think oh, that yeah. my main more. comment about GLC at the moment is it kind of seems to just be lacking a bit of bravery to kind of, you know, the watchmaker's watchmaker as GLC were always historically known as. I don't think there are many people think of GLC as the brand that pushes the envelope that does anymore. the thing that no one else expects. But I think GLC, you know, the most competent able company can produce anything isn't doing anything that's mind explodingly brilliant in a sports watch side yeah sure they've done a lot in their kind of you know reverso you know chucking all sorts of great stuff you know giving the reverso effectively three faces in some of the recent iterations but GLC, give us a sports watch, not just the Polaris, give us something. You know, the Laureato's got the Laureato and then this thing that's kind of verging on going into the hyper-sporty stuff that looks a bit like a, an AP Offshore. Where is the where is the watch that does what an AP Offshore does to the Royal Oak, to this Polaris? It was called the Master Compressor and uh, they discontinued it five, six years ago, four, four or five years ago, very quietly. And I actually purchased an older Jeje uh, Lecoultre in protest and wrote an article about it uh, in 2018. I just looked it, looked it up. It was in October 2018. I'm loving that you can ex- buy, manage to buy watches in protest. Yes. That's probably the most ridiculous reason or the most ridiculously <laughs> self-justifying reason. I'm buying this watch not because I like it, not because I want it, not because it's going to go up in value or whatever. I'm buying this watch in protest. Because I are wanted you to JLC? tell J- JLC, what the hell are you doing? And the, <laughs> the first sentence of the article is, did you know the master compressor was dead? Now that I have your attention, let me begin distribute the da And... Yes, I mean, once they had that, and it's actually a, a, a flipping amazing watch, this one. Mm. Um, it's such a great watch. I, I did sell it. It's, it's no longer with me, but uh, I felt like it was a safe watch to purchase because it would hold its value. But like you say, yes, it's a very um, watch journalisty reason to purchase a watch in protest. And just this year, when we were at Watches and Wonders Geneva, and I was having a little chat with somebody from from Jager and I mentioned the master compressor they were shocked that I would still remember it and which <laughs> is shocking to me in return because it is it is a quintessential sporty Jager that to in my mind should have always existed and should have never gone out of production one of my favorite watches from GLC is the master compressor Memovox yes 
which is, if I remember correctly, like an alarm watch that you can use mm-hmm. underwater. Very cool. So if if you if you fall asleep while diving, <laughs> you, can, you can wake yourself up at the last moment. Produce a master compressor and produce it in volume. It's going to be cheaper than the AP. Of course. It's going to be more available than the AP. That's a low bar. It's, <laughs> to be it's a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be better than, you know, I don't know, what would be the equivalent of the kind of, I suppose Panerai would maybe be where you would go to for something that's like a chunky Master Compressor-esque type thing. But the GLC would, would have more street cred than the Panerai. Yes. So, and more more street cred uh, than the Polaris. I mean, I'm looking at the Polaris yes. collection. I don't mean to, like, you know, step on anyone's toes here who owns the Polaris automatic. But especially on these images, but uh, in, to my eyes, even in person, it's such a hopeless looking watch in so many ways in terms of proportions and in terms of, uh, you know, it could, it could, it's not a bad watch per se. But I think it's a pretty bad gesture. Uh, you know, you could just remove the gesture name from it, and it it would it could be whatever. No one would say like, "Hey, there's a quintessential gesture design." No, I mean, sure you can trace it back in history, but I feel like some other gesture uh, models, especially from just the last ten years or fifteen years, had so much more character than these ones. But I presume maybe that's where the public taste is going. You know, to make yeah. things a little bit more hodgepodge and. Some of these Polaris automatic watches, they just look, the, you know, the, the epitome of, of, of hodgepodge sometimes. But the green one, the new one, really nice. Yeah, maybe this is starting to save it, but dare I say that if you took Giger Lacoutre off this and put Christopher Ward on it? Yes, no one would bat an eye. No, no one. No one, would, no one would bat an eyelid. Now, this green one is probably the first one whereby you would bat an eyelid if they said Christopher Ward on it. Yes, maybe. But, so maybe this is hinting that somebody at GLC is giving them a bit of a shake. Yeah, exactly. The, the Master Compressor, just one last note on that, the one that I had, had the black rubber-coated titanium three-piece bracelet on it with uh-huh. double micro just built into the clasp. And it was just the, the most comfortable, softest, nicest wearing bracelet I've, I've ever worn uh, it's even better yeah. like rolex has nothing on it the the oyster not even the jubilee even though that's a five piece uh, link bracelet has anything on it in terms of comfort and also in durability that watch when i got it was about 10 years old it was worn i could tell on the on the case but this rubber exterior really held up very very nicely uh, and so they have that in house that know how how to do that um, you know maybe that was from a supplier or whatever but Four years ago, when I reached out to them and I wanted to buy another one of those bracelets, they still had it in stock. So I would, <laughs> I, I would deduct the fact that you know probably they could get it done if they really wanted to. But instead, what we are looking at are kind of mismatched bracelets on the Polaris, where uh, the finishing doesn't really line up, and it's just it's just odd in so many different ways. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just put into Google "master compressor." Mm. And be amazed. Do an image search and look at the range of different things. Oh my goodness! Now, so yes, cool. some of some of them are very much of the time, but things like the master compressor diving Navy Seals alarm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just an amazing looking watch on the rubber bracelet. Yeah, it's such a shame. I mean, even things like this. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Squadra, which was the kind oh, yes. of sport version 
of and they're also the reversal. And that's exactly came on the similar bracelet to the one you're talking about. Yeah. And it's just it disappeared as well. It's like that's you know a sport that was their sports version of one of the world's most classic watches, and they did away with it. Uh, I mean, it's weird. It's weird. How far has Yajir come from from collaborating with the freaking U.S. Navy SEALs to make a great sports watch in just Uh 10 years? It's so tame. Go and check out the article on blogtowatch.com. This watch comes in at $9,200. Wow. $9,200. It's not cheap, is it? It's not cheap. Uh, for a watch and a rubber strap? <laughs> no. With a steel case? It's pretty damn expensive. It's, it looks good, though. It's who, what, why, where, when time. And we're doing a bit of a rerun. So this is kind of last week's show this week with our guest, Mr. Guest from a watch we covered last week. This brand owner also has a connection in a former life with Navy SEALs, just like we spoke about with JLC. So over to our mystery guest. So, special mystery guest, who are you and where are you from? My name is Barry Cohen. I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm from the watch brand Protec. Now, we covered last week Protec and your launch, which was on Kickstarter. But what exactly is it that you've launched? I've essentially moved back into the area that I worked for more than a quarter century uh, since I founded the Luminox brand and owned that for 27 years. Uh, At that time, I was bringing this self-powered tritium illumination into the watch industry for the regular person, not for a military application. And I sold my shares in that company five years ago, and I, I missed being in that particular space. I call it my lane, so I'm back in my lane, and launched this new brand called Protec that will be shipping beginning January. And I call it a no excuses, no compromises brand, and that this time, I did it exactly the way I wanted to do this product to make it the best it could possibly be. So many of us will have seen the images on a blogtowatch.com of the watch. So why particularly this design as the first watch for the new Protect brand? Well, the best sellers uh, historically for me were, were in the old brand were in a carbon composite case. So uh, it seemed quite logical to go with a strong suit and come back with carbon composite as our first series of dive watch. We have a couple other series in the launch, a steel dive watch, a titanium field watch, and we have four other series that have begun design and, and can come out whenever we feel like launching them. Great stuff. And where can we find this watch just now? Where do people need to go in order to look at this and in order to buy it or think about buying it? Okay, so you referenced the Kickstarter. Let me just say right right out of the gate that we did not do the Kickstarter to fund the campaign. The campaign's already been funded. We did the Kickstarter to create greater awareness. So one place where people could go would be to Kickstarter to back us and get a watch. And unlike some crowdfunding, we guarantee the consumer will get the watch. There's no question about that. They're being built as we speak. So I would say Kickstarter is one place. And another place to see what we do is at our website, protechwatch.com. 
www.protechwatch.com, www.protechwatch.com, and Protech is P-R-O-T-E-K. Yes. Now, you have already said to us that the first watch will be available in January in terms of delivery, but you also hinted that there is more to come. So when can we see more from your new brand, Barry? Okay, first of all, it's not January, it's July. We'll start shipping in July, and these three series will run through the balance of the year. In the tail part of the year, we'll add some bracelet models, and then going into next year, we'll add uh, four new series. Excellent. So that's the who, what, why, where, when of ProTech. But just to follow on from our initial conversation, obviously you have a background in doing these sort of watches. What is it about the military connection that really appeals to you? Are you former military? What's your what's your connection that has tied you in so much? I think originally you had a tie-in with the Navy SEALs, yeah. and you've just told me pre-recording this that the ProTech will now be an official watch of the U.S. Marine Corps. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. It's a fortuitous relationship for us because it, it adds a certain sense of credibility to what we're doing that we've been accepted by the Marines. But to answer your question, You know, I'm a supporter of law enforcement and I'm a supporter of our military. I don't advocate war. Who would do that? That's crazy. But I support those that serve our country in that way. And, you know, the Navy SEALs came to me for the old brand and asked me if I would make watches for them. I'm proud to do so. Marines had discussions with me and they said, uh, if you're doing this watch, we want it to be one of our uh, official watches. To have that opportunity and we're proud to be able to supply to those that serve in law enforcement or the military but remember you know it's not the watch is not just for them it's for anyone that wants a daily knock around watch and appreciates the ability to see time at a glance no matter what the light level including complete darkness for up to 25 straight years that's our EUSP, if you will. Yes, I'm a big fan of tritium uh, gas tubes, which are a particular highlight of this watch. So I look forward to seeing one of these in the flesh sometime. Uh, Finally, we haven't really discussed it, but how much are these watches? I mentioned earlier that it was a no excuses brand. And and what I mean by that is we put into what we wanted. For example, instead of a a mineral crystal, we have all anti-reflective sapphire crystals. Uh, Instead of doing a 200 meter watch that I'd done in the past, these are 300 meters. Uh, Instead of 10% carbon, they're 30% carbon. Each of these elements added to the price of the product in the final analysis. And so the, the suggested retail on the entire range of the three series is from 525 to 550 for the lion's share of the 17 of the 19 launch SKUs. But again, that's the benefit of this Kickstarter is that people can jump on the Kickstarter and pick up a watch at 33% below that price. So it's a nice opportunity for someone to test our product and get a discount while doing so. Great stuff. Well, thank you for joining us on the show, Barry. I know we will be speaking again soon as the new releases come through and as they continue to be featured on ablogtowatch.com. Well, thank you, Rick. Appreciate you having me, and and, uh, I hope your listening audience will, will take a look at what we're doing. I'm sure they will. That was Barry Cohen from ProTech, that Kickstarter's running particularly successful. Barry was formerly the owner of Luminox. Uh, David, I don't know if you've seen this watch. Obviously, you'll be familiar with Luminox. Uh, Are you into your kind of tactical everyday wearers you're a big carbon case fan i get the impression big time that's that's sort of what that's what this uh, this is carbon case and tritium gas tubes which i'm a big fan of so i think this is a pretty healthy 
I've healthy first product for Barry to be producing now that he's back in the game. Oh yeah, I've been to the uh, I visited the, the the factory where they make these tritium uh, tubes actually in Switzerland. Um, uh-huh. uh, you can find that it's um it's called MB. That's Michael and Brown MB Microtech. Uh, you can find that article on the blog to watch. It's really cool to see how these tiny little tubes are filled with. Uh, essentially radioactive material and and all the precautions that they have to have to do uh and have to um meet these requirements just to maintain a safe a, a sufficiently low level of radiation inside the watch really cool stuff zenith i suppose zenith to me is maybe since we've covered GLC, maybe doing what JLC should have been doing, Zenith are managing to pull off. Because I kind of, I don't know why, but I kind of, I think of the two brands on a very similar level. Mm-hmm. I think it's possibly because of things like the Doublematic equivalents, the Master Compressor from JLC. I think whenever I've seen an old JLC that I've liked, I've also liked a very similar looking Zenith. But Zenith appear to be managing to renew their identity having somewhat lost their way during a, 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 a Nataf's time back in when did he leave Z late 90s early 2000s um i i thought you meant yeah Nataf left uh, back in in the 2000s and then um a certain mr dufour came who's now the uh, the ceo of rolex and what he did was revive a bunch of vintage stuff from zenith history which was very much needed, but I feel like it's much more difficult to do modern new designs very well than revive stuff from your archives. And after Mr. Dufour left, Zenith was left there without too many new modern references. And I believe sometime after it, it became more definitely a part of this Jean-Claude Biver design umbrella in some ways, uh, under Tag and under Hublot, Zenith also became sort of like uh, a new blowy kind of watch and now it's back on track with with, with more uh, zenithy designs and, and more character and I feel like uh, now it's truly back on track which is just great to see because Zenith is such a likable brand and such a great brand um, you know I'm always rooting for them. The way they've taken the Defy range and now with this new Defy Skyline which I suppose is their I don't know where it fits in I, I suppose it fits in as kind of more above the kind of well above because it's eight and a half grand well above the kind of Maurice Lacroix icon side of things yeah but also well below the Royal Oak so sitting in the sweet spot of I don't know Rolex money for a good brand but that and a good movement. very much has and a good and a good movement a great movement but that very much has references to you know real high-end stuff uh in the royal oaks uh, of this world i think it will take a bit of time in the way that it's taken a bit of time for gp and the laureato to feel like its own thing i think they're gonna need to stick at this skyline design for a few years before i'm not looking at this especially the way the dial is laid out because the dial it's not tapisserie. I'm not sure what it actually is, but in the photographs, I'm looking at that dial and I'm thinking, yeah, that's Royal Oak. Even the colour schemes of these in the black 
and the white and the blue looks very royal oak. So I think it'll take a few years of them doing this before that's not where you go to, first of all. I'm less worried about the royal oak thing and more worried about the proportions on this Senate Defy skyline. I feel like it's just it's just wrong in some ways. The, the case, the middle case is just too wide and too bulky. And then the bezel is just too slim. And then the dial is too wide. And then the, the indices are too large. And then the pattern is too small. And then the hands are too large. And then the date window is too small. And then the crown is huge. The whole thing, once you just start to describe it, even the, the logo itself is off because the Zenith text is too small in comparison to the star above it. It feels like mm-hmm. it's been just put together it's like it looks like kind of like a part spin thing even though it's a totally new case and new <laughs> dial and new crown everything is new on it and yet the proportions are just just way off in, in all kinds of ways but what is cool that's a root that's a rune for me <laughs> <laughs> but but what is what, what is cool is is that it does have uh, a 10 second subsidiary uh, dial so it it, it you know, makes a full round, the full circle way faster um, in celebration of the 5 hertz movement within. So it doesn't have the chrono, but it does have the 5 hertz escapement from, from the upper mirror, which we know and love. I mean, I like the look of this, although now that you've pointed out the size of the crown on it, I'm now like, yeah, you might have a point. <laughs> the thing I think that does look odd about it is I don't think it works with a rubber strap. It is pretty weird. The integration of it doesn't look white comfortable i'm not sure why it does look great on the bracelet i think the bracelet looks phenomenal uh and i'm sure it's high quality i don't know if it's got any micro adjustment or anything of that ilk in it and the movement unlike the previously mentioned gerard perigo uh, you know the movement's not any more spectacular than the one in the gp but they've made what you see on the back look so much better than what you see in the back of the gp from earlier on the show uh the star logos cracking so go and check this out maybe this is just the first iteration maybe you know i think they're gonna stick at this clearly i i don't oh, think yeah. they're they're that this is going to be a range that exists for the foreseeable future but maybe yeah the next iteration of it's going to need some proportional tweaks but uh, go and check it out i've not tried one of these on did you get to try one of these or similar at Watches and Wonders? I did on Watches and Wonders and I didn't like it there either. So <laughs> I don't I didn't even <laughs> have any pictures of it. I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> At least you're consistent, yeah. So there you go, check out everything Zenith on the website. Right, David, we've reached that moment. Tell yes. us all about your Moon Swatch adventures. Let's let's put Moon Swatch to bed once and for all. Oh and my decide, goodness. Decide what all of this was about. So we'll put the launch and everything that happened there down to incompetence and lack of foresight and planning. Let's deal with the last thing you deal with in your article first then. Is this watch worth $260? Oh no, I think it's it's not. I I, I think it really, well, it depends on how much you value your fun. I mean, there are people out there wearing... $800,000 $800,000 Richard me watches and jumping off their yachts with it because that's, you know, how much, you know, fun is worth to them or how much their money is worth to them. I think I saw a video, I assume it was genuine, of somebody stamping out their cigar stroke cigarette ash over their Richard Mio on Instagram in the last week. So, yes. That's the most 
most Instagrammy thing I've I've heard all week. Uh, I, this this is, <laughs> brings me back to those good old days of twenty fourteen and just the rampant snobbery and one-uppery of, of, of social media back in the early days. <laughs> it's interesting to hear that somebody still operates that way. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's not a great watch yeah, for, for $260 or 250 euros. In fact, it's a pretty bad watch. You know, they call it bioceramic, but essentially once you do a little bit of research, you learn that it's that it's more like more, more plastic <laughs> um, than, than ceramic. And once you you wear it for a little bit of you will find that it scratches really easily the front crystal or, or plastic you know it's, it's a scratch magnet the whole thing feels pretty cheap although comfortable because the two things are not necessarily against one another i feel like it's a fun watch to wear it would be just as much fun if it costs and you know they would still make a bunch of money on it i'm sure if it costs 160 dollars or 99 dollars but no it costs 260 because it says mega on it and because there's this huge hype but in my review you will find a lot of photos and a lot of notes on quality control issues and ones that i'm experiencing on my watch and my you know and the watches right in my hand and not seeing them on forum posts and stuff stuff like that so yeah it's the, the qc is pretty bad as well now it is fair to say though that at watches and wonders this was a contender for watch of the show, despite the fact that time. Swatch and the whole of the Swatch group were not showing at Watches and Wonders. You got more reaction to this watch being worn around the exhibition hall than anything else. Yes, easy. <laughs> I mean, you could walk past anyone with a with a with an all gold bracelet, Patek Nautilus, and no one would bet an eye. No one. Uh-huh. And this watch, you know, if 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 not. You know, I, I, at least 40 or 50 people have asked this off of me over the course of the week at dinners and meetings and even just, just walking down the aisle of Ball Expo. People would come up to me and say, or I was having lunch and not even saying hello, like, oh, is that the new whatever watch? And I remember at the time I was wearing, uh, you know, like a skeletonized carbon gold watch, you know, that cost like 20 something thousand Swiss francs. And on the other hand, I had this $260 watch. <laughs> and obviously they were asking about the $260 watch because it was brand new at yeah. the time. So do you think that this is, this is it, this will be for a season and then eventually you'll take it off and you'll put it in a drawer and it'll never see the light of day again. I still see a 5% chance or so that, that you know, uh, we'll, we'll never see these in, in greater quantity out there, that the mass production will never kick in. The dials on these watches, and I just spotted this, say Swatch AG or Swatch Go, basically, 2021. So the ones yeah. that I have were produced sometime last year and were meant to launch uh, back in 2021, and no, the uh, you know, uh, I would not be surprised if they actually halted production back in 2021, and now they're just scrambling, seeing the demand, and maybe trying to restart it. I would not be surprised if this were a limited thing that got out of hand. If this was something <laughs> uh, to be collectible and to drive yeah. attention at the desirability uh, of the actual moon watch and the omega watch and i talk about this in the article if, if this sounds illogical to you read the article because it's explained there how this works subconsciously uh, and and how it works from a marketing perspective so to cut this one short i i would not be surprised if we would not see this in mass production or at least not for a long a long time 
And then finally, you in the article make a bit of comment about flipping and I think possibly just the general snobbery that existed about, you know, people flipping these watches. And we, I specifically spoke to eBay at Watch and Wonders to check Hmm. that there was no jiggery-pokery going on on eBay in terms of the resale of these watches. And they confirmed that the watches that sold for four, five figures on eBay that were $260 watches, those were all genuine sales, went to real people. And no those way. watches actually moved. It wasn't it wasn't hype on either their part or wow. the part of of you know people who owned them buying you know buying them back themselves or doing That's something something weird. But know that the the ones that you saw selling for like six thousand dollars, they were proper sales. Hmm. But I think your point is that we shouldn't be thinking of people that sold these watches in the same way as people who saw, who flip Rolex and Patek. We shouldn't think of all flippers as being equal. That some flippers yes. are more equal than others. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is a touchy subject and I'm, I, I feel wary of, you know, about, about going into this in, in this discussion because there are a lot of, uh, lots of fine print here to, to be added. Otherwise, people will just pick up the nearest... Uh, pitchfork and and you know um, <laughs> come and attack me because because flipping um is, is a very touchy subject because it feels like it makes people feel like they're being deprived you know from the experience of buying a watch that they like at the price that that is that is correct but then again uh just read the article and, and see my point on that and there is a major difference in how you could get a moose watch and how you could get a steel daytona or a nautilus or whatever other uh, or Royal Oak for that matter. So it takes a different kind of person and a different type of effort to get a Moon Swatch versus uh, a highly desirable still luxury watch. And that's basically my point. It was basically that the, the flipping of a Moon Swatch is democratic. Like if you're prepared to put the work in, get up early, go in queue, yes. you can get one. Exactly. Whereas no amount of democracy or hard work or getting up early gets you a submariner. <laughs> or a Nautilus. You need to know yep. somebody or a Nautilus or you need to have a history. Whereas if you were just the first person at the door at the boutique in Vienna or Edinburgh or London or wherever it might be, you can get one. Omega and Swatch were not being prescriptive in who they sold their watches to. Let- you didn't have to show your passport and your spending history at the Swatch Boutique. Let me put it this way. You would get some odd looks if you spent the night in a sleeping bag outside a Rolex Boutique <laughs> queuing for a Daytona. Uh, just because you spend one night by the door, try it, maybe it works, and uh, I'm, 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 I hope it does. <laughs> but it probably it won't. We don't, we don't even need to lie. We can just say the truth. Look, the Moose Watch is a highly desirable watch, and people who spent the night in a sleeping bag outside the store got one. Why not try it with yeah. a Rolex? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was told and have indeed had some experience in the last few days of trying to get into a Rolex boutique. And the one I tried to get into was appointment only. You couldn't wow. even get in the front door without um, an appointment. Are you telling me that there is a waiting list to enter the boutique now? (laughs) (laughs) So not only are all the watches in the window display only, there is now a waiting list to get (laughs) into the boutique 
to look at watches that aren't real watches. Ariel did this uh, did this hilarious April's April's Fool's article about Patek boutiques being turned into value salons, and and now it's it's <laughs> happening. That that's the funniest thing about about a block to watch April's Fool's articles that they actually can be and sometimes actually uh, come true. Uh, so go and check that out. So that's our show for this week. David, what have you got coming up in the next week or so? Um, there is a launch in um, a new watch being introduced in uh, near Zurich early next week. So I'm traveling there. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say anything else. But the point is, I'll be there on the grounds taking pictures, posting on our Instagram, at a block to watch on Instagram in stories. So if you want to see first, be sure to subscribe or follow us on Instagram because you'll you'll catch it there and then on the site as well shortly thereafter. I'm gonna be out to check out the Eurovision winners and poor Ariel and see if he's recovered from from his Eurovision. From Eurovision. Eurovision parties, yes. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> so have a have a great rest of the week. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye everyone. Should be French. J'ai je le coup. J'ai je le coup. Que là. J'ai je le coup. J'ai je je je. Even know what it's meant to be anymore. I'm just making sounds. J'ai je le coup. J'ai je. J'ai je le coup. J'ai je le coup. J'ai. No Scottish person should ever have to say these words. J'ai je le coup. Ooh. J'ai je le coup. Debut the Polaris. This is so good. Why am I ace in this?